the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers with me. Sweet land of liberty of the Arsene. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning, the 12th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. We've got a big show for you. As a matter of fact, it's going to start big in about a minute or two. We're going to be joined by Senator J.D. Vance from the great state of Ohio. Senator Vance uh, has been in the news a bit lately because he has been trying to get a jump on, uh, you know, the effort to stop Pandemic 2.0, lockdowns, forced masking, and shot mandates going on. He introduced the Freedom to Breathe Act, and just this past Thursday, he uh, tried to pass it via unanimous consent in the Senate, which it absolutely should have, but unfortunately... Um, it was stopped by Democrat Ed Markey. Heed the message from the American people and let's learn the lessons of the past couple of years. Mandatory masking was a failure. It had costs for very little benefits and we shouldn't repeat it. Mr. President, as of in legislative session, I ask unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the immediate consideration of S-2738, the Freedom to Breathe Act, which is at desk. Further, that the bill be considered read a third time and passed and the motion to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table with no intervening action or debate. Is there objection? Uh, reserving the right to object. 
Senator from Massachusetts. This bill would undermine the ability of states, of cities, and towns across this country to make decisions about what's best for their communities. That is Senator Ed Markey killing the opportunity to pass it via unanimous consent in a most peculiar way because Democrats, who always believe the federal government knows what's best, always try to legislate from the top down, telling everybody to do what Big Daddy government says, suddenly is now interested in local control. What a, what a novel concept that is. They would do anything to try to stop the American people from having to go through uh, another uh, period of Lord only knows how long this time around of, uh, of face coverings, forced, forced shots, mandated shots, lockdowns, and beyond. Joining, joining me now is the man who introduced the Freedom to Breathe Act and tried to get it through, which it should have been on unanimous, unanimous consent, is Senator J.D. Vance. Senator, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I was disappointed, but not surprised. Um, I would imagine you felt the same way. What What is your reaction to the Democrats uh, killing that bill, and particularly by trying to argue that they believe in local control and letting local uh, health departments and doctors and hospitals and jurisdictions figure out whether or not they should strap cloths to people's face for no good reason? Well, let me say a couple of things. First of all, Bob, it's really not about local control at all. My, my legislation is very specifically targeted at the federal mandates, not because I, I think that the state of Ohio should reimpose face coverings, but because I wanted to make a narrowly tailored law that I thought Democrats should reasonably be able to get on board with. Second is, look, the, the, the core argument that these guys are trying to make is no one's trying to bring back mask mandates, and yet we're going to fight every effort to prevent the reimposition of mask mandates. That doesn't make any sense. You can't say on the one hand, we don't want mask mandates, and on the other hand, we're going to block your efforts to try to stop those mandates. It, it, it just is pointless. And look, the, 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 the argument that we made when we sort of had this idea was, look, maybe we get a good, good piece of legislation actually through the United States Senate, which of course is hard in Chuck Schumer's U.S. Senate. Maybe the Democrats really are, when they say publicly over COVID, maybe they will actually sign on. But at the very least, we're going to make them wear the political consequences of fighting to reimpose mask mandates. And I really think that's that's what this is. Everybody has seen laid bare the Democrats had an opportunity to stop the mask mandate. They fought against it instead of instead of fighting the mask mandates. They fought my effort uh, to stop them. So I, I think that's a very, very important thing for the American people to take away. That While all of us have learned the lessons of COVID, I was wrong about things. I didn't get it everything right. No one got everything right, but we certainly can't live in a country where our leaders refuse to learn the lessons of the last couple of years. That's exactly what the Democrats are proposing. Yeah, and, and I, I concur with that, uh, Senator Vance. And, and But the point that I meant, and I certainly didn't mean to imply that your bill was, uh, your proposal was to somehow take local control at all. It's just that the, his argument, Marquis's argument, was saying that now the local doctors and so forth are not going to be able to make decisions that are right for their communities and so forth. Yours was a very reasonable, sensible, and scientifically supported bill and proposal, and that's the point here. Uh, Dr. Fauci was just on with Smirconish. You probably saw this. Senator uh, Paul retweeted this uh, uh, a little bit ago. He was on with the Smirconish, and Smirconish laid out all of those um, uh, studies, the the most comprehensive studies on masking that has ever been done, that have ever been done. And, um, and, and Dr. Fauci said, well, there are a couple of other studies that show that masks work on an individual basis. That's just flat out ignoring the science from the highest paid uh, uh, federal employee in the country. 
That's exactly right, Bob. And, and to get into the weeds a little bit here, I've tried to understand this stuff as well as I can. The highest quality scientific data is, is what's called a randomized control study. It, it's where you actually try to understand and isolate the effect of masking versus not masking. If you just sort of do what's called an observational study, you actually don't capture the real details about what's going on on the ground, which is why these randomized studies are considered the scientific gold standard. According to those gold standard studies, masks simply don't work. Now, I understand the argument. I mean, look, you know, I, I can understand how it would be intuitive for somebody to think that a respiratory virus could be stopped by a mask. That's clearly false. That's like stopping a mosquito with a chain link fence. But I, I at least understand where they're coming from. But the science is clear and settled at this point that when you impose mask mandates on a society as a whole, you don't see any improvements on COVID. Now, it's not just that you don't see any improvements. It's not just that it's this stupid public health theater. It's that you also impose costs. It makes certain uh, causes some difficulty breathing for certain people, especially those who are asthmatic or have a heart condition. It also, importantly, Bob, delays speech development among our children. You know, I'm the father of three kids under the age of seven. So it's, it's not just useless. It also has costs. And the Democrats' refusal to acknowledge those costs is at the core, I think, of their anti-scientific argument. So glad to hear you point that uh, point out the the problems with masks. Not only are they not effective at what their job is supposed to be, according to what we're told, which is stopping a respiratory virus, they cause harm. And they, and it's more than just speech development as well. Socio emotional learning is developed when kids cannot see their teachers' faces and their friends' faces. There are all kinds of psychological ramifications too. So you have the right plan, obviously. And now, of course, they killed it. Any chance of revival? Any other any other thing that can be done from the federal level to to try to make sure that we aren't subjected to this again? Yeah, I actually think so, Bob. So there are two real pathways to try to get something like this passed. Uh, we're going to take another shot at it. Um, we, we may change it a little bit. Maybe we, we may sort of try to narrowly tailor it towards the Department of Transportation, for example. Uh, but we're not going to stop this fight. I mean, the, the thing that I, I think a lot of your listeners, certainly a lot of my friends are starting to notice, is that, you know, respiratory viruses tend to have an uptick in the fall. And there is this weird way in which COVID hysteria seems to be coming back. We're at the early phases of it. We're not yet in full-blown summer of 2020. But there's just something weird that I'm picking up on. And we're going to try to highlight that as much as possible, fight back against it with good public policy. Because, again, this is really about learning the mistakes of the past. Look, I don't like Anthony Fauci, but I, I I don't feel the need to call out Anthony Fauci every single day and say that he was wrong, even though he was. What I really want from Dr. Fauci is to stop doing the stupid things in 2023 that he did in 2021. Learn the mistakes of the past. We'll lay off of him and all the other public health tyrants. I agree with that. I, I, it's just not about casting blame from before, but it is about stop it now. And he's continuing to double down on those things. Now, as far as that little kind of feeling you have, that hint that it's coming back and so forth and they want to do certain things, here's 20 seconds that justify the feeling you have, Senator Vance. We do need more money, but we don't just need more money for vaccines for children eventually. We need more money to plan for the second pandemic. There's going to be another pandemic. 
That's not even 20 seconds. I'll stop it there at 11 seconds. The president is already stoking the fear. He is already telling everybody, get ready. There is another pandemic coming. Not just we might see an uptick in cases of COVID respiratory viruses. By the way, a subvariant of Omicron that is considered to be so much weaker and so much more like the common cold, according to what a lot of medical professionals have already said. But he's using that to say another pandemic is coming and we need more money to fight it. Money to fight it how? Senator Vance? Well, this is the authoritarian playbook, Bob. What they do is they create fear in the population, and then they use that fear to justify certain procedures, certain processes, and certain uh, certain ways in which they take away American liberty. Uh, we've seen this playbook, of course, many times over our history, but certainly over the last couple of years. Th- this is exactly why you and me and so many others have to call this stuff out. Um, what, what, what I really worry about, Bob, is if, if you think about the election of 2020, the way in which the Democrats massively expanded mail-in balloting during that election, uh, what, what I, I am concerned about is that if we re-enter pandemic hysteria mode, where people sort of turn off their thoughtful the thoughtful parts of their brain, they're going to allow a whole host of regulatory and ballot harvesting measures in 2024 that are going to deprive us of our liberties, but also going to make it hard to have a real election in 24. So we need to be awake to this stuff, because the last time this happened, most of us, and I'm ashamed to admit it, Bob, most of us were just like, okay, well, this is like a new thing. We haven't seen it before, so we're going to let this play out. But we can't let them use the next spike in respiratory viruses to, say, justify massively changing how we run the 2024 election. Uh, That's what I'm most concerned about, because, look, uh, public health tyrants are going to do what they do, so long as we have free and fair elections in this country, we can push back against it. But that's the big question, and that's what I'm most concerned about right now. Senator Vance pivoting to uh, 9-11 yesterday, the 22nd anniversary of the most horrific terrorist attack in the history of the country. On that day, President Biden agreed to pay $6 billion in ransom money for Americans being held hostage in the world's state, uh, leading state sponsor of terrorism. Any thoughts on that, sir? Well, it's just shocking and disgraceful and also tone deaf, Bob. I mean, I disagree with the policy here. I think that we should have learned over, again, talk about learning the mistakes of the past. We should learn from the past 10 years that bribing the the Iranians actually just enhances their power. It doesn't make them less likely to pursue a nuclear weapon. So it's disgraceful policy. But I also just, you know, who is in charge of branding at the White House? Like, if you're going to do this stupid policy, why do it as a slap in the face to the victims of 9-11 on the 22nd anniversary of the worst attack on our, on our soil? It's just I, there are many different layers at which I don't understand it. Uh, but even if you accept the policy is dumb and you disagree with it, I can't imagine why they rolled it out the way they did. Yeah, that's a great question. And as long as we're talking about slaps in the face of families and uh, and, and victims from 9-11, uh, I'm going to get one more question in here, courtesy of the Vice President of the United States. Not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. And January 6th, 2021. You, you mentioned the words tone deaf a moment ago. Uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, you could, you know where I'm going with this. Go ahead. Look, Bob, I, I just have to laugh at that. Uh, th- there really are people, I think, in the world who think that January the 6th was as bad as 9-11 or as Pearl Harbor, which is December 7th, 1941. 
Um, I, I I don't know any of those people in real life. I suspect that they should they should get off Twitter, turn off NBC, MSNBC, and actually try to live for a few days in the real world. Uh, it, there is nothing to say about it other than that idea that January the 6th is comparable to 9-11 deserves to be laughed at and mocked. And I think that's how we win the battle against the crazies, Bob. Is I'm sick of defending it. I'm sick of trying to explain myself. When somebody says something so preposterous, I'm just going to laugh at it, and I encourage everybody else to do the same. Yeah, I want her to walk into a room filled with 9-11 family members, survivors of, of, of uh, you know, heroes who died in those towers trying to save people or people who worked in those towers or people who jumped from those towers and tell them that the January 6th uh, riot was, was the same thing. I would love to see yep. her, her make that statement to them. Senator Vance, uh, keep up the good work. Don't, don't give up the fight on the mask situation. We are counting on the ability to breathe freely. Exactly what your proposal was called. Keep up that fight, and thank you so much for the time thanks bob take care you got it. that's senator jd vance I'm, I'm so disgusted by the democrats and their their ridiculous arguments about how and why um you know they had to kill that bill and they had to kill that um uh unanimous consent the opportunity to pass that via unanimous unanimous consent this is more of what ed markey said would silence and hamstring public health experts who have guided our nation out of the darkest days of a pandemic that has killed 1,139,000 people. That's a lie. An absolutely provable lie. But repeat it, would you? In our country in three years. Let me repeat that. This disease has killed 1,139,000 people already. You're a liar. Absolute, abject liar people died with covid not from covid in an extraordinary amount of those cases we are done being played by you we are done listening to your lies and guess what even if you weren't lying even if 1,139,000 people did die from the actual respiratory virus which did not happen, but even if you were right and it did, the masks don't stop the spread of it. It is not debatable. It is not changeable. It is simply proven. They do not work. So why the hell would you obstruct here the opportunity to tell people, no, you don't have to go through the virtue signaling of wearing those diapers on your faces again when science has proven since this all started in 2020 with massive randomized controlled trials proven that these masks do not work. Now we'll take our time out. It's 925 Always Right Radio and AM 1420 The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 9.34, we are off and running. Don't forget, since it is a Tuesday, you've got a Kersenau near hour coming up at about 10.10. So I'm looking forward to talking to Peter Kersenau. He's got a lot of very important issues that he wants to discuss with you. Thanks also to Senator J.D. Vance, who joined us last half hour. That was very important stuff. And now... 
want to talk about your families. want to talk about your kids. want to talk about whether or not you have to co-parent your kids with the school. Should the schools have just as much of a right to parent your kids as you do? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm over-speaking. They want more of a right to raise your kid. As a matter of fact, in too many cases, they are telling you, or telling your kids, rather, to keep things from you, to keep just secrets between school administrators and teachers and counselors and coaches. And we don't have to tell mom and dad what pronouns you use here at school. Um, that's what's going on now that school is back in session in full. Let's welcome Tia Best to our program. She is a director of outreach at a, at a terrible extremist group, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, called Moms for Liberty. What a horrible thing to want as a mother to have freedom to raise your kids and, uh, and run your family how you run your family. Tia, thanks for coming on with us this morning. How are you? I'm doing good, Bob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, you guys are a bunch of terrorists, from what I'm told. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry, not terrorists. I, I don't want to overstep. Extremists, according to what the Southern Extremist, Poverty Law Center. Extremists, yes. Put some respect. Extremists. <laughs> yeah, so t- tell, me, tell me about that. I mean, I did see that you guys are not going to take such uh, slander and slurs sitting down that you're threatening a lawsuit. Are you going to sue them over this? Well, I'll put it like this, Bob. First, let me say hello to everyone in Cleveland. I'm all okay. the way down here in Florida. Hi, y'all. <laughs> Thank you so much okay, for coming listen. on. <laughs> listen, they, they have lost their minds. They are going to call us anything. You know, I'm a, I'm going to give your audience a chance to see me. I'm a five foot two black woman. I've got hooped earrings. Sometimes I have colored hair. And automatically, they're going to lump me and call me a racist, a white extremist. And it's laughable. Well, it's uh, you. You're like Larry Elder. Larry Elder was once designated the black face of white supremacy, uh, which is just about as insane <laughs> as it gets, uh, right? I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and it's it, true. It is, it's true. It is so bizarre what they what they are trying to do to you guys. Tell everybody. I mean, I think everybody knows about Moms for Liberty now, but uh, but but specifically, tell us about the origin uh, because it's not just moms. I mean, it's right on your homepage. We are moms, dads, grands, un- aunts, yes. uncles, and friends, and yes. anybody else who supports children and families and the right to raise their kids. But tell me, j- just tell people who may not know a little bit about uh, the origin. Okay. Well, Moms for Liberty was founded here in Florida by two moms who actually were sitting school board members during COVID. And they saw what was happening behind the educational curtain. You know, they decided, hey, we got to give parents a voice because they don't know what's happening to their kids at school. And that's how it started as one spark. As one start spark, we just decided, look, we have to tell other parents, we have to wake up the other mama bears because we have rights. These things are happening to our kids without our knowledge. If the parents knew, most of the parents would stand up. And be counted. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's uh, I think that's accurate. They would, and you know, I, I, I'm just I'm looking at some of the coverage that you guys re- have received, and this is the thing, Tia, that that most enrages me about it you know it's one thing for a group like the splc the southern poverty law hmm. center to to right. slander you and, and and call you guys extremists and so forth but when npr and i'm going to share this headline in the beginning hmm. of the story from uh, about two months ago when npr national public radio which is taxpayer funded media this is how they described that designation by the splc quote More than two years into a conservative push against teaching about black history, 
literature, and gender identity in public schools, the SPLC has concluded that a dozen so-called parental rights groups behind the movement are extremists. Tia Bess, you just said you're a black woman. Are, um, is moms against, uh, moms, uh, um, excuse me, is moms for liberty against teaching about black history? Because that's what they said on NPR. That, that, listen, <clears throat> it is not about not teaching black history. I'm a black woman and I want to make sure my history is being taught accurately. You know, why are we talking about teaching our kids about reparations? I'm a black woman. That, that's an insult right there within itself. You know, I mean, it, it's called the Southern Poverty Lie Center to me because that's all they do is spew out lies, hate, and fear. And for NPR to back that nonsense, I mean, I started out as just a volunteer with Moms for Liberty fighting for my child. And all of this makes me an extremist. No. No. Well, yeah. It has you know, to it, stop. It's it's so um it's it's so outrageous the idea that what you are doing is extreme in any way because all you're doing is saying hey uh, teachers schools uh, people in charge of our kids while we're not there uh, don't undermine our parenting just do the things no. that we ask you to do which is teach them how to read and to write and to do math right. and to do and science and so <laughs> forth teach them about American history teach them about some American civics as it is yeah. not with your own slant to it and 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 that's all we're really asking for here how in the world is that an extreme request it's an extreme request because you're not pushing their narrative and I and I tell people this all the time. If I was pushing another narrative, everyone would be excited. They'd be backing me. They would be supporting me. But because I'm not playing the victim and I'm playing the victor, the role is completely opposite now. Now I'm the one that's being attacked. Now I'm the one that's being called an Uncle Tom and every other type of, you know, uh, slur towards a woman of color or a person of color that has their own mind and can think for themselves. Going back to, uh, we're talking with Tia Bess. She's the director of outreach uh, at Moms for Liberty. Going back to this NPR coverage of this uh, this this designation by the SPLC of Moms for Liberty as being extremists. Quote: They really are seeking to undermine public education holistically and to divide communities. End quote. That's Rachel Carol Rivas, deputy director for research, reporting and analysis at the SPLC. Um, Tia, who's dividing? Who's dividing here? Are you dividing? Is Moms for Liberty dividing? Or are the teachers who are telling kids that critical race theory, which holds that little black kids are always going to be victimized by whites and little white kids are always going to be victimizers of black people, um, which is really more divisive? No, it's true. You know, I have a friend. Her daughter, she's in the third grade. She came home and she asked her mom, can I wear a White Lives Matter mask to school? Because the kids won't play with me at school because I'm white and the teachers aren't doing anything about it. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? You know, I live, I live in a really rural area. And we're not dividing anyone. Parents are on board. They don't care what color you are. I'm on, we're on board with stopping what's going on in our schools, and I've seen it with my own eyes. If I didn't see with my own eyes, I'd be skeptical, too. But I've seen these things with my own eyes. And my kids in their own schools, my kids have come home and they've told me stories. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm your first line of defense. I'm your mom. I'm going to stand up and speak up for you. But this this Southern Property Law Center thing is out of control. Yeah, well, it is. And and it's it's very typical of what the 
the radical left wants to do. You know, and again, they call you divisive because that's called um, projection. They are they are projecting upon you that yes. which they do. They you know that's what that's what you know uh, critical theory is all about. There's critical race theory that I just mentioned, dividing little black kids yes. from little white kids, making them uh, hate one another. And it's the same thing now with critical gender theory and this transing of America. You guys are out there saying, stop sexualizing our young children and telling them to pick, first of all, who they're sexually attracted to, uh, to see whether they're gay or not, and then also to t- telling them they can pick their gender. You don't have to be a little boy if you don't really want to, and so forth. Again, div- division, 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 and in this case, it's dividing children from their actual parents. With, with that being said, it's division. I'm also going to tell this, explain this, too. You know, I'm in a two-mom household. I'm a lesbian, and I'm black, and I'm conservative. I just blow the left out the water because, first of all, <laughs> I'm not with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure people are like, well, how? Yeah, I'm old school. Call it old school. Call it conservative. Whatever you do as a consenting adult is your personal business. You just However, nailed it. However, do you not just nailed that it. Consenting kids. I'm I'm sorry. Please continue. I was just going to say you nailed it. Consenting adult is the key phrase there. But go on. Thank it's you. About what they're doing to kids. Thank you. <laughs> you are a consenting adult. How can you tell a child they like this gender or that gender when they've never even been with anyone to begin with in the first place? You have no baseline data. You know, my kids grow up, and you know, I communicate with my kids age appropriately. You know, my daughter didn't even know. <laughs> My daughter didn't even know. She thought lesbian was a skin color, like Caucasian. <laughs> and we're like, you know, because, and, and because she's innocent. You know, when the time comes and you're older and you understand things, I'll speak to you. But do not shove it down the throats of everybody at school. And I've read these books. Some of these, a main one is um, uh, this book is gay. It tells you how to join Grindr, which is an adult hookup app. I'm yep. against that. I'm, yep. I'm against that. It shows you how to turn on your location, upload a picture of yourself. You're not preparing kids for success educational. You're preparing them to be on uh, the 10 o'clock news for a missing, uh, missing child. Well, not to but mention, I'm the ter- but I'm the terrorist. Yeah, you're the terrorist and the extremist. Yeah, not not to mention, mm-hmm. you know, the, the um, what what they're doing in these books is is they're literally promoting pornography, and they're doing it yes. in the name of equality, as if to say, Tia. As if there is straight sex pornographic literature and imagery and depictions and illustrations in kids' books now. And now all we're doing was evening the playing field and promoting gay sexual pornography and so forth. Mm -hmm. And there's not. There's no such thing. There has never been a place for pornography in children's libraries and in their children's classroom bookshelves. But that's what they are saying. And if you oppose putting pornographic imagery and literature on bookshelves, then they accuse you and me and everybody else's and Ron DeSantis, your governor down there, of book banning, as if we're somehow yes. trying to quash, you know, uh, uh, you know, yes. legitimate, legitimate literature and trying to, uh, you know, quash ideas because we don't like them. That's that's so ridiculous. Well, and and here's the thing, and this is it's a common sense approach. If you cannot read, if you have to go to have a rated R movie, you got to be eighteen, right? You got to be eighteen years old. Where's the label and the warning on these books? I mean, there's some books you cannot read it at the school board because of FCC regulations because they're streaming it. If you can't read it out loud, why is it allowed to be in a school? 
Well, if I can't is, print these images and put them on a T-shirt and wear them in public without getting arrested by the police office by the police, why is it okay for a minor to look at these images without their child's permission? Well, you have seen permission? you have seen videos, and I have, of parents being forcibly removed from school board meetings for simply standing up to the podium and reading children's books yes. as they are deemed yes. by the board of education yes. children's books and when they uh when they read them out loud and they get shut down it's clear that it's they're, they're shutting them down because of the inappropriate nature of what is being read yes. so how is it inappropriate for a room full of adults but but it's perfectly appropriate for children to check these books out and read them listen it's, it's been right here in my own county um i've had one at my daughter's school that i've been online and i've read about it and i was called fake news even though I'm holding the book in my hand, I have pictures of my daughter holding the book, even by our own people. It's 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 very unfortunate. And I mean, we're you have a law right in now. Florida now, Tia. You have a law in Florida that I'm really really mm-hmm. glad exists, and that is the law that says if such literature is in, indeed forbidden from being read at board meetings. The books mm-hmm. must be removed from the shelves. Governor DeSantis signed that, I think, last year. That is a huge, yes. huge step forward to, because it, and I think this happened in a district called Indian River, somewhere down there. Yes, Indian River month. County. Yeah. They and, removed 200 books that are pornographic in nature. There you go. And all because one father went to the podium and started reading to them, this is what you're telling us our kids can read. And as soon as they shut it down, automatically they had to be removed. And that is, um, that right. is that's something I hope would be adopted at every level, quite frankly, outside of you know Florida, but all across this country. Um, well, it's, it's unfortunate because the left is automatically deeming those parents who read the books at school boards as being book banners, extremists, bigots, and all you're doing is standing up for your child against this material. Yeah, that's exactly right. Standing up for everybody's child, quite frankly. I mean, yeah. this pornography. I mean, you know, I've I've said this before, and I don't mean to be redundant to people who listen to me, but we didn't, you know, on on the magazine racks in your school library where you see Sports Illustrated, National Geographic, and all the you don't see Penthouse, and you don't see Hello. You, right. You don't see porn magazines there because it's inappropriate for children. Yet those same things that you see in Penthouse are drawn and depicted in illustrations in the bookshelves across from the magazine rack, and that's okay. That's the, that's now, the Bob, insanity. Now, now that is 100% true because I have a book that has, I, I, I purchased a, a, that book, a hustler. I purchased a hustler and it perform, it shows a, you know, um, heterosexual couple, you know, engaging in activities. Mm-hmm. I have a similar book at a public school library, but the only difference is it's LGBT and they're performing the same act. How is that Okay. Exactly. That's it's exactly not. the point that we've been making, and I'm so glad you and Moms for Liberty are making that. We're talking to yes, Tia sir. Bess. She is the Director of National Engagement at Moms for Liberty. Last question for you. As a gay woman, I want to ask you your perspective, because I'm hearing more and more and more from the gay community that they want to disassociate themselves from the LGBTQXYZ plus this, that, and the other thing, because um, being gay is very different than forcing or pushing or promoting the trans agenda on children. How do you feel about that as a as a as a gay woman? Well, I I, I feel the exact same way. I feel I feel the exact same way because I cut my hair once. Okay, my hair grew back. If you start cutting off body parts, they don't grow back. You know, we've all gotten a tattoo before. You're like 18, 19, you get a tattoo. By the time you're 40, you don't want that tattoo anymore. What are we doing to these kids? We're making a permanent um, patience of Big Pharma. Lifelong. 
Oh, I don't, I don't big agree. Pharma, yeah, big pharma and big medicine, quite frankly. You know, it's yeah. funny. There's, uh, there was just literally this morning. I'm sorry, last night I saw something, and I don't have it in front of me, but I read it that uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics um, is doubling down on their guidance that gender-affirming care should be offered to young kids who want to change their genders. And I'm thinking to myself, well, of course the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending that. They are literally greenlighting more patients, spending more money and more insurance dollars uh, to create lifetime yeah. care. I mean, of course, they're not going to yeah. say, no, we disagree with the idea of gender-affirming care. That's turning customers away and, and, and shutting your own cash registers down. They're not going to do that because they have too much profit motive in this. But it's but it's funny because it's easier it's it's faster for you to get gender affirming surgery with only two options. I mean, there's only two options, so that makes it clear. But it's faster to get gender affirming surgery than it is for an a person that's working to get a knee replacement. Or or even my son had to get tubes in his ears. It's faster for him to to say, I wanna be a girl and he can get surgery for every whatever he wants. However, surgery that you really need, you can't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. No, that's a great. It's a great point. Uh, Tia Bess, uh, uh, director of national engagement for Moms for Liberty, uh, founded by Tiffany Justice and Tina Deskovich. You guys are doing great work. The fact that the SPLC targeted you means you're over the target, and you guys are having an impact. That's the only reason they're trying to shut you down and to try to diminish you uh, by calling you extremists or terrorists or whatever it is that they want to call you. It means you're doing something right. So please keep doing something right and keep up the yes, fight sir. and and. And thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you very much. Bye, Cleveland. <laughs> Bye-bye, Tia. Thank you. All right, there's Tia Bess. So, yeah, that, that was a little out of left field for me. She said she's a, she's a lesbian and she's in a two-mom household. Okay. That is very, very different, very different than the trans agenda. As a matter of fact, I think Vivek Ramaswamy, presidential candidate, said it best. When someone asked him about the LGBTQ XYZ community, and he said, I don't see it that way. There's not one community. There are very different communities there, and some have nothing to do with the other. Being gay, sexual orientation, sexual preference, not something I'm supportive of, but it is very, very different than uh, mutilating children, chemically castrating them, pumping them full of hormones of the opposite sex, and then, of course, going through surgical procedures that will forever alter them and their lives. And then, moreover, it'll likely lead them to take their own lives, given the fact that the uh, suicide rate for those who have gone through this ridiculous attempt at changing their sex is 19 times higher than the general population of the same age range. 19, not 19%. 19 times, that means double would be two times, triple would be three times as many, quadruple would be four times. You follow me here? Take that all the way up to 19. 19 times more likely to kill themselves. That is very, very different than the LGB part of that uh, that acronym. All right, it's uh, 954, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer, right back. and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness.
This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Big news day today. A lot of very important stuff going on. Didn't touch on this yet because we had two interviews, uh, but the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland is finally stepping up and being faith leaders, finally doing what needs to be done and say what needs to be said, and recognizing that the Bible is not something that is for uh, open interpretation, uh, and that Christianity and Catholicism are not open for interpretation. They have issued their official policy barring LGBTQ+. Uh, expression and um, exploitation and indoctrination and a whole bunch of other Asians I can probably think of when I have more time. But essentially, no more promotion of the LGBTQ radical agenda, transing pronouns, um, uh, pride flags, and more. All of this huge, huge uh, news. Uh, Acknowledging that our bodies created male and female are part of God's intentional design in creation and are therefore imbued with meaning and purpose. The diocese wrote in a letter to schools and parishes sent just uh, about two weeks ago. As stewards of these gifts, we are called to accept love and care for our bodies as they were created. This is huge news for any person of faith, any person who is a believer in those principles, those faith principles, and also it's uh it's terrifying news and it's and it's horrible news for those who have been trying to indoctrinate and groom children into deviant lifestyles. So we're gonna talk more about that later. But what we're gonna do right now is it is a Tuesday and it's nine minutes after ten o'clock on this twelfth morning of the ninth month, the year of our Lord twenty twenty three, is welcome our good friend Peter Kersenow. Back to our program. Peter is a lawyer, he's an author, he is a writer, he is a law professor, he is the host of the Kersenow Report, and perhaps most importantly, he is the, uh, the longest-serving commissioner in the history of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, I'd be better if I had played at least one play on Sunday, but the Browns <laughs> still haven't given me the call. I don't know what they're waiting for, man. They have no idea what they're missing out on, do they? No, I guess not. Did you watch it? You know, I did. Um, I happen to be working, you know, I have a gym in my basement. I was working out, and typically what I do is I'll turn it on just to see, for five minutes, just to see what's going on. And then I I have to admit, I got engrossed in it. Uh, I liked a lot of what I saw. You know, it's one game. We'll see. You know, we're Browns fans. You know, I mean, we've seen this type of uh, deal for a long time, so simply because they've got a victory doesn't mean anything. But this is a credible Bengals team, and, uh, you know, they beat them decisively. So, uh, I think the Browns have got some good talent on the team. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I um, I didn't, and I won't. Um, I, I, I did flip around after I got done uh, uh, putting the cover on the pool. I closed up the pool on Sunday. I figured that was a good time to do it because there was nothing good on TV. And it's impossible that I said that to myself, given the fact that it's the opening weekend for the NFL, which used to be something I waited for with bated breath. Thursday night, however, Pete, the season commenced with a Thursday night game. I don't know who played it. I forget, actually. But I do know that the next morning I found out that they opened the game and the NFL season with the dueling national anthems, the national anthem and the black national anthem, thereby dividing us once again, and I guess somehow proclaiming that blacks aren't Americans because they don't have the American national anthem. They have their own. I guess they're in their own realm or something. But it ticked me off to no end, and... um 
So I didn't watch, uh, and, I, and I'm not going to watch. And that's very hard for me because I'm a big fan of the sport, if not the league, in which that, uh, that sport is played. Yeah, I didn't know that that had happened, and I think if I had, I may have uh, shared your sentiment and maybe not tuned in. Um, I'm going to look into that a little bit more, but um, I know that in the past other sports have done that, and I think it's an abomination. I think you're right. It divides on the basis of race. It's a national anthem. Yes. It is not a racial anthem. And the left persists, and this is and nobody on the right wants to do this. So you know, it's from the left. It's from the the virtue signalers in the, in the uh, front offices of the NFL and their respective teams. Uh, they're the ones who are doing this. Their fans are upset about this stuff. I, you know, I I didn't see what happened last Thursday, but I guarantee you, had they panned the crowd, which they probably didn't, or if they did, it was selective. They would have shown a lot of people who were disgusted by that, because most ordinary Americans don't want to see race, but we're continued to be bullied into looking at almost everything through a racial lens. And then we're told that we're racist when we don't. Most ordinary Americans that I know, and I've been around for a long time, get beyond that. They're not even thinking about those things, but it's constantly being beat over their head by our so-called elites, which are anything but. Yeah, um, I think that's well said, and we are sick and tired, and that's, you know, all of the professional sports leagues now have gone radically woke, all of them. I was talking about this in some depth uh, yesterday because of 9-11, and I talked about, you know, where I was on 9-11, and I was doing sports radio and and, and all of these things, and about sports used to be my entire life. I I, I got into sports radio because that's what I love the most, and I, I have not been to a professional basketball game in about four years, five years. Uh, I have not been. I went to one Indians game this year on gifted tickets with a good friend of mine from high school that I hadn't seen in a long time. He had them gifted to him, and he took me. So I went, but I didn't spend a nickel because I will not support woke MLB and, of course, the NFL I just discussed. And, and Pete, it is disgusting that they continue to try to beat us over the head with all of the different ways that we are different rather than talking about all of us as Americans. Um you know, and, and in particular, you know, with with the the matter of race. And, you know, I see, here's some, just since you brought up the NFL, <clears throat> I also saw on a Facebook post one of the pages that I belong to, some sports or another uh, group, and um, somebody said, history! There's a big, big, big headline, history made! And it showed a picture of 14 black quarterbacks that started in week one of the NFL, which is the most in history, 14 black quarterbacks. And I was like, so, who gives a rip? Uh, and they said, "Well, it's you know, blacks don't get to play quarterback very often. It's been they've been discriminated against." And this is what some of the people who were commenting wrote on it. You know, so I did the math there, and I divided fourteen by the thirty-two teams, and it's about forty-three percent. And I said, "That's super." How about you alert me when forty-three percent of the NFL wide receivers, running backs, cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, tell me when forty-three percent of them are white? Then I'll be interested, because that would be a pretty unique thing. That's never going to happen. Nobody talks about the discrimination against. It is the constant division on racial lines. If I wanted to enjoy the NFL, Peter, I couldn't because of that crap. Everything has to be just slammed in our face that's divisive, that tells us good from bad, and, and, and like I said, black from white, quite literally. Yeah, right. We are at least going into the third generation, but definitely the second generation uh, in America, where if you're a minority, 
you have been, and I know this is, you know, a, a uh, sacrilege to our progressive friends, but if you're a minority, the systems in this country have favored you. Please come or watch a Civil Rights Commission hearing, and you will see precisely how, despite the fact that the progressives continue to try to push this narrative and they control the commission, unfortunately continues to boomerang against them. Because we have seen, for example, with uh, the Supreme Court case, the Harvard case, this kind of preferences, just in academia, and I'm not talking about employment and other areas, and, you know, I've been an employment lawyer for more than 40 years, I can tell you that the enormous weight that is placed in favor of minorities in hiring in in admissions in so many other categories it's incredible it, it truly is now before that 50 years 50 years ago before the 1964 civil rights act sure there was discrimination no doubt about it. there was overt racism sure. it, it there's no doubt about that but the fact of the matter is now we are discriminating overtly against whites against males um against almost anybody who takes a uh quote-unquote, traditionalist position on um, religious or cultural matters. We're doing it all the time. We're, we're supposed to say that somehow this is uh, to remedy ongoing discrimination, that discrimination is so widespread or racism is so widespread. You, you know what? The racism comes almost exclusively from elites and progressive elites. And I've said to you before, in my lifetime, I'm not saying that America's perfect. And I hate even ever prefacing that. I always do that because you always have to pay some type of homage to the fact that, yes, the United States was a horrible country. But the fact of the matter is, I'm a man of a certain age. I'm no, no longer a spring chicken. But I can tell you that every single instance in which I experienced any form of discrimination, every single one, any form of discrimination or any form of bias or racism, it came from the left, and it was in terms of some form of patronization or con condensa uh, condescension. And I'll say, I'll say this, because I like to be fair. Many of those people were good-hearted people. They were okay. You know, they, they were trying to do what they perceived to be the right thing. They were not evil. A lot of people did it because they were patronizing because they truly believed blacks are substandard, blacks aren't smart enough, blacks aren't, you know, uh, educated enough, whatever it may be. But every single time, and that's pretty unique, that's pretty, in, you know, significant that in my entire lifetime, I've never experienced, at least to my knowledge, I mean, who knows what happened behind my back, but, but that also pertains to the folks on the left. But every single time, it came from the left and not from the right. Uh, and it's, con con it's, Consistent. Now, you look at, like, the NFL, this is a lot of virtue signaling on their part, and also they think that they are pandering to, let's face it, uh, nearly 70% of the NFL is black, and the NFL Players Association makes a big deal out of these kinds of things. So, you know, they want to have, or they remember what happened uh, shortly after the kneeling incident. They had a lot of problems from both the left and the right. What, prob what, what bothers me is, Major institutions, whether it's the targets of the world, whether it's the, um, you name it, I, I can't even go through the entire litany, they always seem to capitulate in favor of the left. The right has to become a lot more strategic and sophisticated in how we get our point across and how we get society in general to be colorblind. We saw that a little bit and had nothing to do with color, but in the Bud Light Dylan McVaney incident. When there was no overt effort, there was no organization, it was simply grassroots people organically saying, you know, I'm done with this kind of stuff. If you're going to do this, Bud Light, the number one beer in the country, we're taking our business elsewhere. 
And I think more of that has to happen so that Americans, Americans, individual Americans who are some of the greatest people in the world and the greatest people in the world as a whole, that their sensibilities are respected in this country and the elites can go to you-know-what. The elites are the ones that are perpetuating this stuff. When I go to my alma mater, for example, it's constant race, sex, you name it. Everything is on the basis of who you are and, and what you are as opposed to what's in your soul and what's in your head. It's, it's despicable, it's un-American, and we need to push back as many times as we can. Well, very, very powerful, unprompted remarks. We weren't even going to talk about this stuff, really, at least at the top of our conversation. But, uh, but I think it was uh, is good that it flowed there organically, Pete, because we got your your full version of it. And uh, and I think you're exactly right. I want to ask you then, just to kind of follow up on it, since we're here, about one of the stories of a Florida State University criminology professor named Eric Stewart. This is the one that I sent you a few days ago. Oh, did we lose Pete? I think we lost Pete. Yep, yep, I just heard the click. <clears throat> tell you what, it's perfect timing anyway. It's 1021. Let's take the time out here. We'll get Pete back on the line. Then I'll talk to you, talk to Pete about this next story. And you can stay right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. Okay, it's 1026. We don't have a ton of time here. I thought we might, but we're going to get into this anyway. Peter, I wasn't planning on doing the uh, Florida State professor story, but it just lends itself to what you were just discussing uh, about uh, race and racism in America and the perception thereof. Florida State University criminology professor Eric Stewart um, has been fired due to what is being called extreme negligence. And quite frankly, to make that even more blunt, he faked his data to try to make it appear as though systemic racism in this country is indeed real and that blacks will never have a fair shot at virtually anything. College authorities said he was fired for incompetence and false results after six of his articles published in major academic journals like Criminology and Law and Society Review between 2003 and 2019 were fully retracted after the revelation that the professor's data was fake or so badly flawed it should never have been published. This all came to a head after uh, four years after his former graduate student named Justin Pickett blew the whistle on his phony research. And true to form and staying on brand, Peter, the uh, professor who has now been fired for all of this fake research declared that the individual who uh, ratted him out, quote, lynched me and my academic character. So, Pete, take that and do what you will with it in three minutes. Well, it shows what I've been saying. The demand for racism vastly exceeds the supply. This guy was ginning up statistics and analyses to make it appear as if white people wanted to put blacks and Hispanics in jail or see them punished, capital punishment, uh, because lynching caused whites and Hispanics to think that, well, blacks are, are criminals. I mean, the, the, the connection, the, the, the linear connection is bizarre and, and absurd, but it just shows you the fact that this guy was print, printing this stuff, publishing this stuff. He got grants, I think, uh, totaling four million dollars this this was not some obscure person he was getting money thrown at him to produce this kind of product he was widely cited he had 8500 citations people were picking up on this because again the demand for racism exceeds the supply and he fulfilled that demand um it took 4 years after 
the research assistant blew the whistle four years before they finally got rid of the guy. Now, your audience knows the answer to this question. What would happen if a conservative had done something similar to that? I mean, before the, anybody had even finished blowing the whistle, the guy would be gone. But that's where we are today. We have, and this is not uh, an isolated case. This comes up on a regular basis, frequent, not frequently, but on a regular basis, you find altered research to make it appear as if the United States of America, whether it's because of racism, sexism, or some other type of ism, is the worst country that ever existed on the face of the earth. And again, I say again, he was cited 8,500 times. There are professors out there, there are actual scholars out there, really good, rigorous, who wish they got cited that many times. But nope, not going to happen unless you can show that the United States of America fulfills the vision or or uh, confirms the vision of the left that this is a horribly racist society. That's why the 1619 Project, a complete fraud, got picked up by every major news organization and is still in thousands of schools across the country because it, it serves the narrative. That is well said, Peter Kersenow, and right on time as well. It's 1030. We're going to take our time out here. We're going to come back. We've got more for you. Pete and I are going to discuss a couple other issues, including Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, deciding that yesterday's commemoration of 9-11, or on that date, that 9-11 was, along with Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941, and January 6, 2021, they were all equal atrocities. I'll let Peter react to that next. Stay here, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1034, we continue with our good friend Peter Kersenow sticking with us on his regular Tuesday slot. Pete, um... We have heard a lot of word salads from the president of the, uh, the vice president of the United States. Rather, we have heard a lot of uh, inane statements. I don't know uh, what this one would qualify as. I'll let you decide. Not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December seventh, nineteen forty-one. September eleventh, two thousand and one, and January sixth, twenty twenty-one. Peter, the vice president has been going to great lengths to equate those three days as being, well, equal. Uh, she is literally applying or assigning them equal uh, impact on the United States. And sadly, she's not the only one. Uh, Seth, who's uh, our producer, um, shared a video with me just the other day of a man on the street interview segment in which people were asked, which is more impactful 9-11 or January 6th and sadly and shockingly a great number of them said January 6th so we're just one day removed now from the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 Pete how do you feel about what the vice president is saying in making that uh, equivalency and the fact that she's not the only one who thinks that uh, well yeah Kamala Harris saying something dumb is you know something of a dog bites uh, man story so it's not surprising. What's uh, when I listened to that just now? What what I was thinking is, uh, what about her friends or handlers? Uh, is there no one in her orbit who knows better who would say, "Do not say something this inane"? But apparently not. And they one don't of the it. it's not. They do, and not only that, they know the media is going to not critically evaluate 
it at all, because the media is going to say whatever is necessary to promote their cause, promote uh, the Bidens, but more importantly, progressive causes. So this is what we have. We have on you know, 9-11, uh, uh, nearly 3,000 Americans were slaughtered in Pearl Harbor. 2,500 were slaughtered. Uh, they were acts of war. Just the other day, I think it was yesterday, uh, Kevin McCarthy's office was taken over, which would, you know, was in a, in a manner that was no less violent than the so-called January 6th insurrection. I mean, this is extraordinary. And I, again, I, I know it's, uh, I keep beating this horse, but it is true. If we had an honest broker for media in this country, this would not stand. But uh, as somebody said, whenever Democrats do something stupid, the Republican reaction to it is the story, as opposed to what the Democrats did. And th- this is just, you know, it, I think most people get it. But what we don't get is, or we don't abide, is the fact that there are things being done to this country, damaging things being done to this country, based on this narrative that they trot out to give them cover. As I said, you know, McCarthy's office got taken over, um, was it yesterday, I think it was? And, you know, nobody said boo about it. It was just as much of an insurrection in terms of violence or anything else as uh, so-called January 6th. The only people to die in January 6th were, you know, Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt got shot by a Capitol Hill policeman who got a promotion. She was no threat whatsoever. And these lies that keep being told about it and the media simply, you know, ignores the fact these lies are being promulgated. It's extraordinary what's going on. But, you know, this is where we are today. We've got an FBI that will investigate if uh, somebody is on the right and throws a wad of gum on the sidewalk. But if a president of the United States receives millions upon millions of dollars from our adversary, no big deal. You know, we're not going to take a look at that. That's that's okay. We're going to suppress a laptop that would have affected the outcome of a presidential election the second time they've tried to affect the outcome of a presidential election, and nothing happens. Um, you know, Victor Davis Hanson and many others, I, I always you know, refer to Victor Davis Hanson because I think he's kind of the guy who sums up everything in one fell swoop. Uh, but they've noticed, not noticed, I mean, they have written extensively about not just the double standard, but the path on which we are, which is a very troubling path, and Victor believes that, you know, we may be near the end times of the United States of America. Uh, Victor Dave Sanson, as you know, is one of the most sober guys around. He's not given to histrionics, and there are a lot of other folks who are very sober. You know, if a meteor was heading toward the Earth, you know, they'd, they'd probably shrug. But uh, they're sounding the alarm bell that we are at a breaking point, a tipping point in this country, have been for quite some time, and now we are moving with great rapidity down that slope. And uh, I think the thing that everyone, you know, everyone's seen the double standards with respect to January 6th, etc. But the one thing that I think was a shot across the bow that let everybody know that we are in desperate straits is how not just the media, but so many of our institutions are cheerleading this um, attempt to get Donald Trump through litigation, the the most absurd forms of litigation. And we don't understand that this is the hallmark of a banana republic. It truly is. And uh, unfortunately, we don't teach history in this country anymore. But um, this partisanship that is out of control, that is being ascribed to Republicans, but is almost uniformly on the side of progressive.
progressive is going to damage the United States. And the question is, is it going to be irreparable? Because is one side simply going to sit down and say, do nothing? If you listen to a lot of Republicans, I know you do, you listen more than I do, a lot of ordinary Republican voters on the street, they are uniform in saying that, you know, Republicans cannot simply turn the other cheek when it comes to these things. They can't do that anymore. They, typically, they would do it, and then the Democrats would take another inch, and then another inch, they, as Mark Stein called, the one-way liberal ratchet. So if they indicted Donald Trump or any of his associates and, and a lot of other folks, and Republicans, when they have Congress and the, the uh, presidency, don't do the same thing with much more evidence of wrong, then, uh, you know, we're going to go down that path so fast, it's going to be the end of the republic. I don't want that to happen. I don't want, obviously I don't want the end of the republic to happen, but I don't want Republicans to have to push back. I don't like this kind of gamesmanship. It's horrible for the republic. But by the same token, if there isn't any pushback, the Dems are going to become even more emboldened. And we will have that banana republic. We will have a totalitarian regime. And that's not an exaggeration. We're almost there right now. You're 100% uh, right. Uh, we, we, are, we are very, very close to that. Um, and, and I'm glad you brought up... Look what's up, happening in New Mexico as an example. Okay. Well, you want to go, you wanna go to the unconstitutional order by the governor that, uh, that, I mean, sheriffs, throughout that. that the sheriffs throughout New Mexico are saying, no, we're not enforcing that. Are you kidding? That's completely unconstitutional. Those sheriffs took an oath. The governor took an oath. She says no oath is absolute. So therefore, she can uh, tell people if they're concealed carry or open carry and we see you, you're going to be arrested or it's going to be confiscated from you. Um, but these sheriffs are saying we actually respect and honor our oath. No, we are not going to enforce that truly extraordinary that someone would even get it in their heads some governor would get it in their heads that they can suspend the second amendment and there's a number of commentators unilaterally note of just just on our yeah, own right. whim just because we're, there was a there yep. was a terrible shooting or a couple of shootings whatever the case may be we're going to completely uh just disregard the the constitution of the united states of america it's astounding that these people think they can do this and you know it's bad peter when even liberals and democrats are joining in the condemnation of of her of her statement yeah, because she went a little too far and exposed the real agenda. You've got to do these things by increments is what they're saying. Hey, you, can't, you can't alarm the other side, so they push back. Right. Uh, yeah, the fact that she would get in her head that she could do it is troubling. Uh, it's troubling enough. And the fact that we don't have a more enormous pushback on something like this, that a governor can get it in their head that they can invoke, and they're doing it more and more often, using the issue, the climate emergency or a health emergency with COVID. They're trying to assert emergency powers, allow them to suspend or completely abrogate constitutional rights. And this is, again, one area in which responsible Republicans have got to push back. And when I say push back, it's got to be a shove that sends somebody off a cliff. This has got to be a virulent effort to stop this kind of nonsense. I'm not sure exactly what you do with the governor, except you have to start uh, invoking removal procedures at bare minimum. This is extraordinary. What if the governor had said that I am prohibiting everybody from talking under the First Amendment? Nobody gets to talk anymore because it's an emergency. People have been spreading COVID disinformation. Uh, you know, this is, you know, it sounds foolish and extraordinary right now, but the day before yesterday, suspending the Second Amendment sounded foolish and extraordinary that no one would do it. So I would not put it past anybody to suspend 
other provisions of the Constitution if they chose to do so and it served a progressive interest. Yeah, I th- I think that's um, that's that's well said, Peter. Um, I'm going to take a time out here because I want to pivot to one more subject with you, and uh, and that is the unbelievable, um, I don't know, ignorance, I guess, if you will, uh, that the Biden administration thinks that we all are are suffering from because they think we don't know uh, when he is telling the truth and when when he is not. I'll explain what that means and get your reaction to that as we continue. Kirsten, out with us for one more short segment on AM 1420, The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, one more segment with Peter Kersenow. And Pete, um, I don't know if they just think we wouldn't notice because they did this on the day that they did. As a matter of fact, I, I think it might be fair to, to um, opine that there is nothing dumber than paying off hostage takers of American citizens <coughs> with $6 billion. Uh, except for paying off American hostage takers on the anniversary of the worst terror attack in the history of the country. Because that's exactly what happened. I can think of nothing more un-American than to give the number one state sponsor of terrorism $6 billion, a gift of $6 billion on 9-11. Uh, I, I, it is tone deaf, it's out of touch, and it's un-American. And not only that, but Iran... Their statement on what, how they're going to get the money and who's going to oversee it is different than what the United States is saying. That is uh, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Peter Kersenow. Uh She kind of yeah. summarizes it for me, but I know you've got more. Go ahead. Well, uh, there's a lot to say, and I'll just say a few things. First of all, a prisoner swap with the greatest state sponsor of terrorism. The, they had manufactured the IEDs that killed so many of Americans in Iraq. They were involved in so many other atrocities. Aside from, you know, some of your listeners don't even remember the initial hostage-taking back during the Ayatollah Khomeini of 40-plus years ago. I mean, this is incredible. Now what we know is every terrorist out there can bet on during a Biden administration, and who knows, maybe any other Democratic administration, because remember, Obama did something similar that if you take an American hostage, it's worth a billion dollars. What an incentive is if you needed any other one, if you're an evil regime, to take Americans hostage. If you are overseas, you better be very careful about where you go. You better be very careful about your surroundings because it is one of the greatest profit-making endeavors in the world to take an American hostage. And you're rewarding the greatest sponsor of terrorism. Remember, these folks are not just sponsoring terrorism, but they're selling drones to Russia. I thought Russia was the big pariah. You know, according to the Biden administration, you know, we have to do everything we can to constrain Vladimir Putin and Russia because our friends, the Ukrainians, are the guys we're fighting with. I'm not being, uh, you know, I don't want me to be facetious about this stuff, but Iran is supplying the Russians with drones and other armaments. And yet we're giving them more money by which they may be able to do so. This is one of the, you know, we know that the Biden administration from top to 
uh, bottom is not one of the brightest that's ever been. And again, this is not a, an attack on Democrats or progressives, just as a matter of uh, sheer competency. These folks aren't up to speed. You look at Anthony Blinken, you look at Janet Yellen. These folks are not the best and brightest. And of course, the people at the top, we may, these, these without question, Biden and, and Harris, their, their collective IQ is maybe, well, I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to be uh, that pejorative about it. I will. The bottom line is here, this was really, really, it was stupid. It was evil. They are funding the development of nukes with this. I, we have to think that Iran is, they've been close to getting a nuke. I happen to think because I'm a little cynical that they probably have one, maybe not one that's as functional as they would like. But uh, we're funding all of this stuff under Trump. They killed terrorists. They killed Soleimani. And, you know, the New York Times would wring their hands about something like that. But Iran was in economic straits. Remember, the regime was in danger of toppling because of that. Remember the stories about that. Even the left-wing media acknowledged that that was happening because of the economic straits Trump had put them in. And now, flush with cash by virtue of the Biden administration. One of the greatest bonehead foreign policy moves of the last 20 years, and that's saying something. Without question. Uh, we've seen this played out before, and, and it is only going to play out this way again. I mean, honestly, why not just give American citizens a target whenever they travel abroad? And you don't have to. Right. People would say, well, I don't have any, no American with, their, with, a, with a functioning cerebral cortex would ever travel to Iran anyway. You don't have to go to Iran to be captured by Iranians and brought back to Iran and then charged with bogus uh, you know, charges uh, in order to justify keeping you there until the Americans come up with another $6 billion. Uh, uh, it is it is impossible to just justify this, but Pete, you said you don't want to be uh, use any more pejoratives and talk about their collective IQ. I will. Kamala and Joe, if you add them together, I don't think they hit triple digits. That's my opinion opinion in terms of their their IQ because you would have to be dumb to think that we are too stupid to understand when you're lying like things like this. Brown Zero in New York, and I remember standing there the next day. And looking at the building, I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because the way you could, from where you could stand. Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Peter, in his ridiculously tone-deaf remarks from an, uh, an airfield in, uh, in Alaska on the anniversary of 9-11, um, for him to to think that people are just so stupid to not know and to to understand where he was the day after 9/11 on 9/12/2020, he was on the floor of the United States Senate. He was one of the presenters, one of the leaders in a, an important uh, a discussion and vote. He was in D.C. the entire time. His own book that he wrote about where he was indicates that he was in D.C. Now he's trying to tell us he went to 9/11 the day after. Or I'm sorry, he went to Ground Zero the day after the 9-11 attacks and stared at it and looked like he was staring into the gates of hell. Peter, if this man has gone a day without spewing at least a dozen lies in his life, I would be shocked. I don't know why he is so hell-bent on trying to convince us that he has lived a life that he has not lived. No one has ever... Peter, he lies more than Hillary Clinton did. And I thought Hillary Clinton was the most remarkably talented liar that I'd ever heard. Yeah, Bob, you know that. I know that. <clears throat> Your listeners know that. But the old phrase, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, if there, nobody's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. When it comes to Democrats, they can lie 
almost with virtual impunity, because the media is not going to say anything about it. If a Republican says that, uh, you know, it's 75 degrees out when it's actually 73, somebody's going to make a big deal about it in the media. We are being, and I know this is a, I keep beating this horse, but it's important because I talk to so many good-hearted people and smart people who are completely ignorant of the facts. Not, yeah, maybe they should look at a little bit more alternate media to get more facts and everything, but it's not their fault because 90% of the media is on the same side, so they will not report embarrassing details when they are compelled because it's so ubiquitous or it's so uh, monumental. Uh, they still will downplay it, and it's astonishing when you hear it, when you see the major media do it. But, um, you know, we are being ill-served by a press corps a, and, you know, social media, you name it, whatever it may be, whether they're colluding overtly with the FBI or just exhibiting the typical progressive bias, which has gone on steroids in the last 10 years. Uh, just all you have to do is say, what if a Republican had done something like this? But, you know, Joe Biden yeah. is going to get a pass. Kamala Harris is going to get a pass. No one's going to say anything about it. There have been so many groundbreaking stories, I mean, earth-shattering stories. If Trump were to jaywalk, it would be front-page New York Times and everything else. But you think about, honestly, the, what has been revealed thus far about Biden and Ukraine and China. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's breathtaking. Yet 90% of the American people are completely oblivious to it. Or if they know something about it, they are getting a very tainted version of it. And that's where we are in society today. Yeah, and believe it or not, Peter, just just real quick to close this. um, CNN actually ran a report that I read this morning. Biden falsely claims he was at ground zero the next day after 9-11 and then went on to actually hold him accountable for a whole host of other lies. Quote, another false claim about his own past. He did it three times in a single speech last month, falsely claiming to have witnessed a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh in 2022, repeated a long debunked false story about a conversation with an Amtrak conductor who was dead at the time the story was supposed to have taken place, falsely claiming his grandfather died just prior to, uh, days prior to his own birth at the same hospital, um, and on and on and on. I mean, there's one, two, yeah. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's like nine lies in the last two paragraphs here. This is on a page on CNN, Pete, which makes me wonder, uh, is the media starting to realize that they simply cannot carry the water for this guy and justify no. another four more No, years? they're not. No? No, no, because a collective decision has been made. The word went out. Biden is no longer going to be our candidate in 2004. So yeah, now, the, that's what's going on. That's what's going on right now. 2024. And even, but, I, but I knew what you meant. It, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peter, Peter Kersenow, great job as always, my friend. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Bob. News now. Another hour to go. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. 
you and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, our third and final hour, an hour underway on this Tuesday, the 12th morning of the ninth month, the year of our Lord, 2023. You've already missed a bunch if you just turned it on. Uh, beginning of the show, we had J.D. Vance, Senator Vance, of course, sponsored and promoted and tried to get pushed through via unanimous consent in the Senate um, an important bill called the uh, Freedom to Breathe Act. What a, what a crazy idea that would be, right? Um, it was cut down by Ed Markey, senator from Massachusetts, who says that, well, apparently the, he knows more than the multiple number of randomized controlled studies that have been done that show that masks do not work. Surgical masks and more. They just do not work against respiratory viruses. Also, did not want anybody to know about all the the uh, harm that such masking wears. If you missed that interview, or such masking uh, does, I should say, to the wearer. If uh, you missed that interview, it'll be up at whkradio.com coming up about an hour after the show, so in about two hours from now. We also had a great conversation with the uh, outreach director for Moms for Liberty, working very, very hard on behalf of parents' rights all across this country as schools continue to try to indoctrinate uh, their kids. Uh, and then, of course, we just uh, finished up with Peter Kersenow. So any of that stuff that you missed that you want to catch, you can do so at whkradio.com about an hour after the show. I'm also going to post to my social media pages as well as my Rumble account, uh, the interview with J.D. Vance. It was an important one. So you'll see that uh, in, a, in a number of different places. By the way, <clears throat> briefly, and we are open, by the way, for calls in this hour at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Um, briefly, um, we, we have not paid a lot of attention to the coming November 7th very important ballot initiatives, the two proposed amendments to the Ohio Constitution. We're going to get on that, and we're going to get on it uh, hopefully a lot more uh, you know, and, and push and promote the correct answers, put the no in November for, for issues one and issue two. One, of course, is the anti-parents' rights amendment. It just made me think of this because of the conversation with Moms for Liberty. The uh, the stripping of parents' rights over their kids to make life-altering decisions, literally life-defining decisions, that's issue one. It's abortion, and but so much more. And then issue two, which is the legalization of weed, which is going to turn us into Oregon 2.0, as they're trying desperately to roll back the clock and pretend that they never legalized drugs. Um, there's a ton there, and we haven't done a lot of work on that, and I promise you we're going to do that. Briefly, we're going to get a lot of people on to talk about the man, the uh, uh, the ramifications, rather, of, of those particular amendments if they do get into the Ohio Constitution. Don't sleep on this, my friends. We got a late start on the August 8th special election in terms of getting out the uh, yes votes at that time, and now, of course, because we did not uh, succeed, now we have to vote no on these issues here in um in the particular issue one here in November. So we will be on that. Now, having said that, this was a huge story yesterday. It just came from the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland. The church is finally acting like a church. The diocese is actually providing some leadership and some guidance. As we start to see more and more cases and more and more examples of and videos of, of woke churches, 
flying or 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 decorating their their places of worship with pride flags and you've got pastors and other various sorts of faith leaders up there telling everybody that you can be whatever you want to be god loves everybody so therefore god will love you if you change your gender and all this other crap that's going on in a lot of faith places the catholic church has been noticeably absent in their um in their guidance in their leadership like i say uh in this whole thing well, they finally have broken their silence, if you want to call it silence. They have finally decided to lead on issues of sexuality and gender identity and, and all the other stuff that uh, we are dealing with in this culture war. So I want to share some of it with you in two different places. First one from Cleveland.com. The new Catholic Diocese of Cleveland policy bars what they call gender-affirming care, which of course means chemical castration, and then physical mutilation of children's bodies. Use of pronouns among staff and students. And here's the way it works, according to the Cleveland.com article. A new policy quietly implemented by the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland last week lists new rules for churches and schools across Northeast Ohio for people who, quote, experience gender dysphoria and or gender confusion. Let me pause there to say they're, they're right so far. Because that's what it is. It's confusion. It's a psychological confusion. Either a chemical imbalance, a psychological disorder, which is very, very rare, less than 1% of people suffer from the psychological disorder that is gender dysphoria, or it is part of the social contagion, confusing people into thinking they are something that they are not because of the role of influencers, teachers, counselors, coaches, and sadly, Sometimes even parents in trying to twist the minds of little kids into give uh, into becoming something that they're not. The policy bars students and staff from undergoing gender affirming care, which means physical mutilation in response to psychological disorders. And I could stop right there and just kind of let that resonate and be done with the conversation. Psychological disorders need to be treated with psychological therapy that's the way it works when the mind is disturbed in one way or another psychological treatment is what is called for and always has been with the exception of a period of time in which they were lobotomizing people but now they're taking psychological disorders and saying well then let's cut up the body in response to what the mind thinks that's what they call gender affirming care anyway and using pronouns different than those affiliated with the person's biological sex. It also requires church or school staff members to tell parents of a child who might be, quote, transgender. If staff members worry that telling the child's parents may put the student at risk of physical abuse, they must first consult with the diocese's legal office and moral theologian. Furthermore, the policy states, the fact that a parent or guardian might refuse to utilize preferred pronouns at odds with their child's God-given biological sex or to otherwise refuse to treat their child in any manner inconsistent with their God-given biological sex is not abuse and is not a compelling reason not to disclose. And that is so important that the diocese got this language into their statement and into their policy because the words, words like abuse can be left open to interpretation. That if you don't affirm a kid's 
desire to become something that they saw on a TikTok, that therefore you are now psychologically abusing them, when the reality is they need to be, well, given a reality check. And that can be through psychological counseling. But abuse is a very, you know, an undefined word. Does that mean psychological abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, etc.? Back to the uh, article. Bishop Edward Malesic and Chancellor Vincent Gardiner, uh, Gardiner, uh, is it Gardiner or Gardiner? Gardiner, signed off on the parish and school policy on issues of sexuality and gender identity August 30th with the new rules starting on September 1st. So we're underway. The policy applies to all offices, parishes, parish schools, and diocesan students, as well as their employees, personnel, volunteer, volunteers, students, and youth participating in parish or institutional faith formation. In response to social uh, societal trends and at the request of church and school leadership, the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland has taken existing guidance and practice in matters of sex, sexuality, and gender identity and developed them into a formal policy rooted in Scripture. What a neat idea. And church teaching to help ensure that these matters are addressed in a consistent, pastorally sound, and authentically Catholic manner across our diocesan and parish institutions and schools. End quote. This is all part of the statement uh, that was made to Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer by the diocese in support of the policy letter, which is a lengthy one. They did not take this lightly. The content is very, very specific. There is a lot of explanation. Consistent with the uh, with this, the following directives promulgated as particular law for the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland. There's parental no- parental notification with a lot of language, pronouns and names with a lot of language, bathrooms and facilities usage. Again, very simple: boys and boys, girls and girls. It's not a matter of how I feel that day. Single-sex institutions, programs, and activities will be respected, meaning that biological males who somehow have been had their mind polluted into thinking that they're a female, can't suddenly go to a female, an all-female school, you know, Catholic school, and vice versa. Uh, they have designated parish and school dances. No person may attend a dance or a mixer with somebody. Uh, uh, let me read it, read it specifically. No person may attend a dance, mixer, or similar event sponsored by an institution with a date of the same, with a date, being a companion of the same God-given biological sex or publicly express and or display sexual attraction or romantic interest in members of the same sex at such events. An institution may in its discretion allow a person to attend events without a date or companion with a companion, whether of the same sex or not, who is a platonic friend and is part of a group of platonic friends. So in other words, we're not going to be hosting uh, you know, LGBTQ dances and mixers in the Catholic schools. Personal appearance and dress, each person is expected to present and conduct themselves in a manner consistent with their God-given biological sex. I love that they use God-given all the way through this. Because it's true. The language that the left uses in this transing of America that we are dealing with continues to try to say... uh, assigned at birth, at the sex assigned at birth, as if a doctor is the determining factor and the doctor assigns a sex and says, this one shall be assigned male because I see a penis, or this one shall be assigned female because I see a vagina, as if it wasn't 
God determined. The child didn't get assigned at birth. The child has always been male or female from conception. Every cell in the growing zygote in the in the uh, in the formative stages of development, every cell, every strand of DNA in that individual child is determined at conception, not assigned at birth. Anyway, it goes into conduct, sex, and gender transitions. No person shall engage in so-called social transitions, surgeries, or medical treatments that seek to transition the person to a sex or gender inconsistent with his or her God-given biologic, uh, biological sex. This includes, but is not limited to, puberty blockers uh, prescribed or taken to delay puberty and those diagnosed with gender dysphoria and hormone or surgical treatments to feminize a biological male or masculinize a biological female, etc. And then records, all institutional records shall reflect a person's God-given biological sex and legal name. No changing of names, no changing of sexes, no references to different pronouns, etc. This is a very comprehensive um, policy established by the Diocese of Cleveland. And so before I do anything else and talk to anybody or take calls, let me just say to Bishop Molesic, Can you dig it? Thank you. And thank, quite literally, God. Thank God for this. Now, the exceptions. I found this to be very, very interesting. Exceptions to this new policy are indeed um, made clear. Among them, there are a couple of schools that don't have to follow this. A couple of Catholic schools in the diocese that don't have to follow this. And I'm going to let you guess which ones they are. Seth Williams, I'm going to let you guess which ones they are. You probably have an idea, don't you? To be honest, no. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I would go with the obvious, Ignatius or Hens. There you go. That's the reason I brought it up to you. Yeah. There is an exception wow. for schools of different orders, including St. Ignatius and the Jesu- Jesuits, Jesu- Jesuits sorry, and St. Edward. Those two schools are not going to be compelled by the, uh, uh, the Catholic Diocese policy to follow that policy. They have been given, which it's funny, when I first saw this yesterday, I almost sent a text message to graduates of places like that, like you and uh, some mutual friends of ours from uh, St. Ed's, uh, and to say, oh, bad news for you, you guys can't go and push transing on anybody anymore, the diocese. But sure enough, there it was at the bottom of the article um, uh, saying, actually, you can continue to do all of those things at those particular schools, which is an astounding development. Well, to be honest, it's not very shocking, uh, knowing the way that the schools have gone in, uh, over the years. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, considering what the diocese said, you'd think that they would follow along, but I guess not. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think so. But you're right; it's not shocking. Uh, I mean, it, it, it. I mean, it's a little bit surprising because with the diocese is trying to be very, very uh, all encompassing in the statement, you would think that it would include the two largest single sex schools, you know, male schools in the diocese. But somehow, some way, they uh, they they get, they managed to wriggle out of this. And in fact, let me read the specific language of that at the end of the other article. Um. The policy is not binding on schools founded by specific orders like St. Ignatius High School, a Jesuit school, or St. Edward High School founded in the Holy Cross tradition. I didn't know what the Ed's one was. That's why I had to look it up. 
Schools that are independent or governed by religious orders are not subject to this policy. As Catholic institutions, they are responsible for developing policies and practices for the operation of their schools that reflect and promote the Catholic faith and Catholic teaching. End quote. So while they don't have to do it by order of the diocese in terms of the language of this policy, they are being told by the diocese, you have to develop your own policy, but one that mirrors this, you know, or, or very closely resembles this because Catholic faith and Catholic teaching do not believe, you know, does, it, it does not hold that little boys were made as mistakes by God and that they should be fixed by becoming little girls and vice versa. And that God didn't make people two different ways. You know, that I'm one day I actually feel and, and identify as a male, and another day I may identify as a female. God, in the language, again, is very, very clear in this uh, statement by the diocese and the policy by the diocese. God made people specifically and intentionally male and female in body and in soul and in mind. That is, that is just paramount in the Catholic faith. So what I would suggest is to leadership at St. Ignatius High School, which has gone woke beyond your wildest imagination in recent recent years, and I've talked to some big-time donors, alums of St. Ignatius, who are hugely responsible for a lot of the financial um, gifts that are, that are received by that school. And they are livid about the woke policies that have been done there, and they're, they're threatening to withhold funds and donations if they don't come on board with uh, you know the actual traditional Catholic teachings and all these matters. But St. Ignatius has gone woke beyond belief, and so has St. Edward. I can give you specifics, or I can give you generalities. I've heard them all, and I know what goes on inside of those, uh, inside of those buildings. I would hope, I would hope, that they would see this Catholic diocese statement and policy as a reason to say we're going to pull back from some of that woke crap we were greenlighting all along. Now that the diocese has spoken, and it doesn't necessarily encompass us, we will follow the lead of the diocese and uh, enact our own policies which resemble or mirror theirs. So this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. All persons of faith particularly Catholics, should take some heart in the fact that there is finally some leadership and some pushback in this culture war for the souls of our kids. Thank you to the diocese, and I welcome your thoughts on it. 216-901-0945. We'll be back. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. The church, through divine revelation, has been given the gift of knowing that the human person is a unity of both body and soul, and that, body and soul, each person is created in God's image. Our bodies, created male and female, are part of God's intentional design in creation, and are therefore imbued with meaning and purpose. As stewards of these gifts, we are called to accept, love, and care for our bodies as they were created. Catholic institutions, therefore, are called to act and speak in ways that are consistent with and consistent with and affirming of this divinely revealed truth. The Church recognizes that there are and will be persons who experience gender dysphoria and/or gender confusion. Such experiences can be complex and emotional to work through, and for some, incredibly burdensome and painful. 
Such persons can, persons can be led to believe that gender and biological sex are entirely separate. In this view, gender represents one true inner self, even if inconsistent with our physical sex. This understanding erases those intentional embodied... Let me read that again. This understanding erases those intentional embodied distinctions between men and women. As such, this view is contrary to the divinely re- uh, revealed reality of our true God-given human nature. Catholic institutions must accompany people experiencing gender dysphoria and be committed both to providing a loving environment and to upholding the truth of God's created reality. As the Catechism teaches, individuals who experience these perceptions or feelings are to be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity, and that every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. All are welcome with the understanding that by voluntarily accepting the invitation to be a part of a Catholic community, a person also accepts the responsibility of striving to do good and avoiding what is not consistent with uh, Catholic moral teachings as well as the upholding of the rules and expectations of that community, which are designed to reflect the fullness of the Church's teachings. A person experiencing gender dysphoria or confusion will not be denied admission to an institution, or be excluded from an institution's life and activities simply because he or she is experiencing gender dysphoria or confusion or same-sex attraction. However, those persons who choose to openly express disagreement with church teaching on matters of sex, sexuality, and or gender in an inappropriate or scandalous way, or who act in ways contrary to the teachings of the church, may be subject to restrictions on his or her participation in the life of the institution, or, in appropriate cases, to disciplinary action, both for that person's own good and for the good of others. In order to be faithful instruments of Christ and his gospel, Catholic institutions must uphold the truths and principles of Christ as expressed by his church, and seek to accompany those experiencing gender dysphoria and or gender confusion. Jesus Christ provides the model for walking with those in need, in truth and love, and in every way Catholic institutions must seek to imitate this example. This policy applies to all offices, parishes, schools, uh, parish schools, and diocesan schools of the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland. For the purposes of this policy, a parish school is any Catholic school found, uh, founded or operated by a parish or for which the pastor of a parish holds an ex officio appointment in regard to this. I have a very faded copy. My apologies. The printer's not working great. This is a little hard to read. Uh, in regard to the school, including without limitations uh, any interparochial schools that have resulted from the merger of any two or more parochial schools. The term leadership for purposes of this policy shall mean the delegate, the bishop or his delegate, in the case of the diocese, um, or the parish pastor in the case of a parish or parish school in consultation with the school principal of a parish school. Consistent with this, the following directives are promulgated. So I just wanted to read you the, the specific language here in which they then go on to list all of those um, uh, various directives that I shared with you before. It's a huge step forward. And I'm going to say this before I go to a call. I got a text message from a friend who sent me during the break, who sent me about $20 signs. That was his message. And the inference, I think, is clear. And I also think there is some validity to it. Churches 
across the diocese have been suffering in terms of attendance and in terms of collections. And a lot of people, I believe, have been holding back on attending and making their, uh, their contributions to the offering plate in large part because they are sick and tired of the church providing no guidance. Sick and tired of the church not standing up for all of the things that they do stand up for in these new policies. So is this an attempt to get their, their, you know, the money train rolling again? Possibly. Probably. It's a factor. But having said that, whatever the motivation might be to do the right thing, I'll take it. At least they're doing the right thing. Might not be for the right reason, but saying that we will not allow this kind of stuff to go on in our schools and our parishes and so forth, and we will not be allowed to actually uphold the teachings of the church, of Jesus Christ, of the Bible, and so forth, that is something that is long overdue, whatever the, uh, the reason for the decision was made. John is in Berea. John, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Okay, um, my, I hope this, this does uh, filter down, because this past weekend at my Catholic church, I, after the Mass, I talked to the elderly priest about, uh, are we going to hear from the pulpit uh, about issue one, you know, about that right. issue? Right. And this, this, this priest, he was hemming and hawing. Well, you know, you have to be careful how you say I agree with that. But the point is, he was hemming and hawing about uh, saying anything at all. And I brought up that priest, you know, from wherever it was, who who spoke out against those despicable, uh, that despicable group in California, you know. And then he got and the and then he got into a bit of trouble. I said, I said, Catholics, we didn't back him up enough. He goes, well, you know, you you got to be careful all your states of it. That's that's disappointing. Because it's too much in in a general way, conservatives kind of lay down, and we've got to stand up instead of laying down. And uh, and the way and the way we find and thank you for the call, John. The way we find the strength to stand up instead of laying down should come from our leaders. And I'm and I'm sick and tired of well, you got to be careful how you state things because again, I think a lot of that has to do with what my friend who texted me the dollar signs. They're afraid of alienating people who don't actually believe in the true church or Christ, and that if they say the realities of what the church and what the teachings are, and it makes people stay away, that it's going to cost them money from that side. So they're trying to walk this fine line down the middle of actually being. Catholic and being Christian and being, you know, as as woke as the other side wants to be so that they don't tick off enough people to make the pews sit empty and thus the offering plates as well. I think that's a real problem. Uh, Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. First of all, I'm going to say hallelujah from a Catholic girl looking to whatever happened to the church she grew up in. Um, But, you know, I mean, during covid we didn't have a bishop, so I'm going to try to give Malefic some credit here, and I'm hoping if they try to scare us into COVID again that Malefic puts his foot down, doesn't shut the churches down, and fight. I mean, I'm tired of this. I have no idea what happened to the Catholic Church I grew up in. So this, to me, is okay. I mean, can you tell me something? Is Ignatius and St. Ed's big enrollment? What are are they are they big enroll? I mean, do they they're have the like two largest. They're the two largest all male schools in. Alienate these people. Well, they're they're you know. the two largest all male schools in northern Ohio. I know okay. that. 
So I mean, so they're so they're getting big money because they have big enrollments. And yes, yes, they, okay. their tuitions, their tuitions are huge, and so, their endowments you know, there goes are huge. The dollar yes. signs again, you yes. know. I mean, very true. But I mean, hopefully they'll adopt some kind of policies that'll make them cat. Well, yeah, and and and, it, and it's. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.